You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ignition sequence start. Oh, Elijah Wan has David Robinson. Just bamboozled. Kelly out of the corner for three innings. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. The Houston Rockets select Yao Ming. McLeany at the buzzer. Yeah! Chris Paul touches the ball. Goes to Harden on Thompson, steps right, shoots for the win of three. He got it. I know what we need to do. I know exactly what we need to do. Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I know what's at stake. It's gonna be scary. Not for us. Houston Rockets basketball is just 27 hours away. At least, at the time of this recording, it is 27 hours away. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. I am your host, Jackson Gatlin, at JT Gatlin on Twitter, producer with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship here in Houston. Today, we've got another sort of a season preview type show, similar to the Adam Clanton show that came out a couple days ago. Today, we've got none other than Houston Rockets radio and TV play-by-play analyst, Mr. Craig Ackerman. Hey, Craig, how's it going today? Uh, It's going well on the eve of the the start of the new season for the Rockets. um, I'm excited. Now, I, I, I know you're excited, and I know I'm excited, and I know all of our listeners are definitely excited, but as far as excitement goes, relative to past Rockets seasons, you know, with this new pairing of Russell Westbrook, James Harden, I mean, it's it's pretty it's a star-studded duo, right? So, as far as as far as past seasons go, where is your excitement level at compared to maybe you know the start of the Chris Paul era, the Dwight Howard era, things like that? Um, uh, you know what? I'm always excited uh, at the start of every season, regardless on of who or who is or who is not on the Rockets roster. I mean, if, if, if this season began with the Rockets uh, as a team that was rebuilding and uh, that were expected to, to make it into the lottery, I'd still be excited uh, this time of the year. Uh, I love what I do. I love my gig. Um, I love representing this organization. Um, and uh, I'm always pumped to start a new year. But obviously with this particular group, I think there's um, a lot of intrigue on the, the Westbrook and Harden pairing. Um, I think it will be a fascinating uh, season, to say uh, the very least. Um, I, much like most people, are very curious to see exactly how um, all of this um, works out. I mean, James Harden and Russell Westbrook's their, their career resumes obviously speak uh, for themselves. They're two of the best players uh, in the league, um, two of the guys that have won recent MVPs. And in fact, the game tomorrow night against Milwaukee will feature the last three MVP award winners in the league with Giannis uh, in town. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. Like, I think Russell Westbrook, obviously, I think it was a little bit of a hit, uh, mixed back for him in the preseason. Um, didn't play much of it all over the course of the summer, trying to shake some rust off. Um, but he is super duper athletic, and the Rockets needed to get more athletic. Uh, this summer, and he certainly had that space. And, and again, I'm just, I'm just excited to see how it's all going to, 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 to work itself out between now and the time that the end of the regular season comes in April. 
Definitely. And again, I share that same excitement every year that the Rockets start. It's always exciting. New season, new <laughs> team, new look. And we'll definitely touch base more on that Bucks matchup a little bit later on. But the first point I want to get to today is at the start of every season, the referees kind of come out and they, you know, regroup over the summer and they usually come out with a few points of emphasis. And it seems that one of the points of emphasis this season is going to be, you know, keeping an eye on these these traveling calls. And I, I'm a little bit worried and I want to get your take on this is is this point of emphasis going to impact James Harden's ability to create space with his step back or just in general the moves that he usually is able to pull off where you constantly have people on Twitter, on social media saying, hey, that's a travel. Then the refs come back, no, it's not. Then, you know, you've got national media saying, yes, it is. So what are your thoughts as far as this point of emphasis goes? Well, I think we've obviously seen a pretty significant uptick, at least it appears to me in the preseason of, of traveling calls. Um, I was in broadcast meetings um, in New York uh, last month, and every single time we're in the broadcast meetings, part of it is in a session um, with officials and discussing rules, and and and, and in this year especially discussing the uh, the mechanisms behind the new coaches' challenges and so forth. And they were going over examples of of traveling, and and no, I don't think it will impact James Harden uh, at all. What they're looking. What they're basically looking to do is just in, become more stringent in, in enforcing the rules um, that have already been on the book. And so they're going to pay close attention to the gather. And then after whatever the gather is, that's where the ultimate steps begin. And so that's why James Harden's step back is not uh, a walk. Obviously, if he takes a third step in there, we saw that once or twice uh, last year, that is going to be a walk. And if guys move both feet before the ball hits the floor and when they shift their pivot foot, uh, illegally, all that stuff um, will be a call. And they're just, just trying to get back to just, again, like I said, um, sort of um, making sure that the rules on the book are enforced. It was a, it was something that was expressed uh, by the competi- competition committee over the course of the offseason um, as well. And uh, I think players, like we've seen it every year when they have various points of emphasis, um, they will ultimately adjust to it. Like freedom of movement is still on the list. I mean, last year, freedom of movement was a pretty big um, point of emphasis that we saw called a lot, especially early. And I think everybody uh, adjusted to it as the season went, went along. And, and I also think another thing to look at in terms of um, points of emphasis this year is illegal contact initiated by offensive players. And if i got to be honest, if there's one thing I think that will impact James Harden more on his step backs, not the walking stuff, but they will be looking closely to determine whether or not he initially initiates contact with the opposing defender with a forearm to push off a little bit or free himself up and give him some additional space before the step back occurs. So I don't think the traveling is really going to affect his step back, but perhaps maybe if he does stick out a chicken wing, if you will, uh, that will be uh, something we'll have to kind of keep an eye on as the season goes along. Definitely. Those chicken wings, we didn't see many of those in the preseason, but I do know that Russell Westbrook got called for a a few, a handful of offensive fouls throughout the preseason, so that'll be definitely something we want to keep an eye on as the season progresses. Yeah, keeping an eye on for sure. Yeah. Now, with this new look, Russell Westbrook as the Robin to James Harden's Batman, so to speak, what do you think is going to happen as far as now? I know we've got everybody saying just like two years ago when CP3 came to Houston and you've got the whole argument, how are these two ball dominant guards going to make it work? So I want to ask a bit more of an in-depth question rather than just how are they going to make it work? But do you see the Rockets adapting their system slightly more to fit Westbrook or do you see Westbrook having to adapt more to fit the Rockets system or maybe a little bit of both? I don't think it's going to be. 
I think it's going to be a little bit of both. I, you know, the thing with when Chris Paul first arrived, I think they realized within the first couple of practices of the preseason, or at least that's what was expressed to me from the coaches, that that particular transition and fit was not going to be a problem at all. And I think with Russ, he's a different player than Chris Paul. Uh, I don't think there was that seamless turn and um, his, you know, sort of um, him blending in uh, with the team as it was with Chris Paul. I think that with Russ, it will be a little bit more of a of, of a work in progress um, based on what his strengths are and what the Rockets like to do. But I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be a little bit above. I mean, Mike D'Antoni's come out and said that they don't want to necessarily change a guy who has had as much success as he has in the league, especially at this stage of his career. Russell Westbrook is who he's going to be. He is going to take some mid-range shots, probably more so um, than than most of the Rockets on the team. I think Nene was sort of grandfathered into it a little bit. He didn't play a ton, but I think he was sort of grandfathered into taking some of those shots, and, and, and so was Russell West, and so was Chris Paul, and I think Russ is probably going to probably, my guess would be attempt twice as many um, as as Chris Paul, but the, the math is the math, and the data is the data, and it tells you that the most efficient way to play the game is the way the Rockets have approached the game the last several seasons, which, and in fact, it's the way the entire league has trended, and I know you mentioned we'll talk about Milwaukee, but one big reason why the Bucks were so good last year and made such a dramatic jump from one season to the next was uh, Mike Budenholzer and his system changing and adapting to um, the modern style of playing. In fact, if there's any team in the league last year that mirrored the Rockets more than any other, it was the Milwaukee Bucks. And again, I think that's a large part why they ended up ended up winning 60 games last year and had the best record uh, in the league. And so the data is there. Um, they want him to play um, and fit into this system because it is the most optimal way to play, and they want to try to maximize Russ's efficiency on the offensive end. Despite averaging a triple-double last year, Russell Westbrook had the most inefficient season of his career. But I think what they would prefer is to make sure that he continues to play to his strength, which is downhill with the floor spacing, and that's, I think that's a big reason why the Rockets are playing at a breakneck pace, and they want to push at every opportunity because they want to maximize Russ's ability to play downhill, attacking the rim, uh, because there aren't many, if any, players in the league who are as devastating on the move to the basket as Russell Westbrook is. And so I think you'll live with some of those mid-range shots in the half-court set, but ultimately they want to get him pushing tempo, they want to space the floor, setting screens, and having him attack uh, the basket. Uh, and then after that, I think some part of Russ's sort of touch and go a little bit in the preseason, which is kind of understanding where his teammate, his new teammates are going to be when he does drive and he does get cut off on those drives. And so I think it will be a little bit more of a work in progress progress with Russ than what we saw with Chris Paul, which was basically seamless. Uh, but I think ultimately it's going to work out. Now, as far as the system goes, you're right, you know, the entire NBA is trending towards that more analytical style of basketball, threes better than twos. I mean, every team is working towards that way, and the Rockets are always at the forefront of that discussion. Like you said, the Bucks, the Nets are another team that comes to mind that are working towards that trend as well. But another guy that, you know, encapsulate, encapsulates that entire concept and, you know, really flourishes that is our very own Eric Gordon, and he has now made the transition back to the bench as per Mike D'Antoni's decision to now start Daniel House. What do you think about that transition? Well, I mean, he won six man of the year. He's excelled for the Rockets coming off the bench. Um, you know, I think Eric has said all of the, the, the right things. 
Um, I think ultimately Eric would probably prefer to be a starter, uh, but he also just got a contract extension. So uh, his future has been taken care of uh, pretty significantly. And so I think with that, um, his willingness to accept any role, it becomes easier for him personally. You, know, you have to probably ask him um, you know, what he thinks on that, but that, that's what I see from the outside. Let's be honest. I mean, Eric, outside of James Harden, Eric had the best preseason of any Rocket on this roster. He was absolutely brilliant uh, in – the preseason and Eric has has, a, has had a tendency in years past to, to get off some slow starts, but he was red hot in the preseason. I hope that carries over into the regular season. And the more that Mike and Tony initially before they hit training camp, he's like, Eric's going to be my starter. Uh, but the more they looked at, at, at things, um, the more they realized and, and Mike has said this multiple times that he wants to make sure that Eric is tethered to either James or, or Westbrook or both on the floor at all times. As the season wore along, he realized that the first couple of minutes of the games, if Eric was starting, and that would be the same case at the start of the third quarters, those were kind of wasted minutes for Eric Gordon because the ball 90% of the time was going through James Harden and or Russell Westbrook. And that and the fact that the second unit needs four spacers, especially if Russ is playing without James Harden. So the more they looked at things, the more they studied things, they had a conversation with Eric Gordon, the more they realized that this, once again, was going to be the best thing for this team to have House Stark use his, his size and his athleticism and his um, a guy who doesn't need the ball. You ask him to, to run the floor, fill lanes, and defend, and then you can have Eric Gordon come off the bench um, when one of those guys sit, and then all of a sudden Eric gets more touches, whether it's with James and or Russ. And he gets to become, he gets to, to be, have his skill set maximized more. And you got to, again, once again, have to give Eric credit for having the willingness to accept that particular role. And um, I think he's going to be great off the bench once again. And I, and I really hope, I really hope that what he did in the preseason will have an immediate impact on the start of the regular season because the Rockets absolutely need to get off to a better start this year than they did a season ago. Definitely. If he can continue that hot shooting, then I think the Rockets are going to be off to a great start this year. And you're right. It is a, you know, it's a sacrifice on Eric Gordon's part to come off the bench like that. But if it's for the betterment of the team and he's still going to be a closer, he's still going to be in the closing lineup more often than not, for sure. Um, Another aspect that I want to touch base on in previous years, I think that pretty much in James Harden's entire tenure of being here in Houston, it feels like to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it feels like to me that there has always been another player that has been, in essence, the more or less the heart and soul of the team. You know, you had Patrick Beverly, and then, honestly, Chris Paul, the moment he stepped in through that door, was really more the vocal leader and the emotional leader, I think. Um, maybe more so than James was because he's kind of a quiet, more reserved guy. He kind of lets his play do the talking, that kind of attitude. Um, now you've got Russell Westbrook who comes in, who's just as fiery and just as you know much of being, just as capable of being that new emotional leader. But I also think that in recent years we've seen James mature and grow a lot more. And as a guy who's as close to the team as you are, I kind of wanted to get your your thoughts on James's maturity level and how he's grown as a leader over the years. I think it's been significant. I mean, you know, he's thirty years old. Um, been there, done that. The only thing he has not accomplished, obviously, is is winning is winning a championship. And I, I just think his ability to 
I think his his resume, as I said earlier, speaks for itself, which I think goes a long way um, towards um, his leadership. He's without a doubt he is the number one option on this team. He knows it. His teammates know it. Russell Westbrook knows it. I think to a lesser extent, if you want to, you know, use the phrase heart and soul of this team, I think that role probably now falls upon uh, PJ Tucker a little bit. I think he's just more of a vocal. Uh, personality than James is. I mean, I don't think James is is, is sort of, he's not much of a, a rah-rah guy, even though you do uh, see that from him from time to time. But there's no question about it. His his his, his game, um, him growing as a person, everything uh, has matured. And again, the only thing that's missing for him, uh, he's won it, he's done, he's basically accomplished every single thing you can accomplish as an individual in the league is, is to try to win the championship. And you know, again, that's what this group's going to attempt to do once more this season. Definitely. And then as we are now, it looks like, what, 26 hours away, 27 hours away from the tip-off of Rocket season. We are going to be facing the Bucks tomorrow evening. Like you said earlier, Giannis and Tedekumpo and crew coming into town. As far as that matchup goes, it looks like Eric Bledsoe is going to be starting for the Bucks. What do you think are some keys for the Rockets to actually get a win against this team, a team that they lost against you twice last year? Well, you know, Milwaukee uh, was best defensive team in the league and Utah were the two best defensive teams uh, in the league last year. In fact, Milwaukee was the only team in the league last year to have both the top five offense and a top five um, defense. The teams that have given the Rockets the most struggles in recent seasons are teams that have a big bodied rim protector and then a bunch of lengthy rangy athletes on the perimeter to deny threes and force the Rockets into areas that they're not comfortable in, which is the area in between the three-point line uh, and the restricted area, and the Bucks did that about as well as any team in the league did to Houston uh, a year ago. Um, Brooke Lopez, he's not an explosive leaper or athlete, but he's a huge body, and he understands defensive positioning as well as any big uh, in the league, and so he was a guy who camped around the restricted circle, and so he really took a lot of the Rockets' uh, attacks at the basket away, or at least made them much more difficult, especially for a guy uh, like James Harden, did not shoot it very well um, against Milwaukee last season. And then, you know, they took away the step back from James. Eric Bledsoe was a guy who defended that, some others, but um, not quite to the extent that, that Utah did. It, if I remember correctly, I don't think they played completely behind him, as we saw in that first-round playoff series, but they, they shaded him very much to his left to take the step back away because stepping to his right and then shooting with his left uh, is obviously more awkward than it is moving towards your strong side and, and I think that really affected James but to me the one thing that the Bucks have that every other team does not have when it comes to defending the Rockets as well as they did was Giannis um, all those things that I mentioned Lopez sagging back playing center field protecting the rim taking away James Harden step back denying threes with long rangy wings closing out on three point shooters but Giannis was able they were able to do all of that and then Giannis his insane length and athleticism, he's the best athlete in the league, um, basically was able to wall off and defend by himself one-third of the floor. And so you take away the rim, you take away James's step back to the left, and you, in essence, can't play on one-third of the floor because Giannis is defending all of it. So now you're shrunk down to two-thirds of the floor, which makes, again, the rest of those the, the Bucks wing defenders even that much more lethal. And so I think they're just going to have to try to find a way to keep the Bucks moving. And I know the Rockets' style isn't necessarily that of 
you know, they, they're still going to ISO a lot, especially with James Harden on the floor. But I think they have to find a way to get the Bucks scrambling a little bit on defense. And I think perhaps maybe the Rockets increase pace and desire to attack and transition can get them some easier buckets against Milwaukee than they were able to try to get last year in the half court. Because I just think that their their defense is still going to be good enough to really take away a, a lot of what the Rockets' strengths are. To me, what I'm really looking forward to for Milwaukee this season, or at least I'm curious to see, is you know they, they in essence have all their guys back except except Malcolm Brogdon. Um, how much of a loss is he going to be uh, for them uh, this season? But Giannis is, is basically a one-man wrecking crew, and if and if, and if they can continue, if they can't get them out of their defensive sets especially scoring in transition, the Rockets, they're going to make the Rockets earn and work for everything uh, in, in the half court. And obviously that's something that Houston does, does not want to have happen. Yeah, that half court defense is definitely something else. And hopefully we also don't get Giannis pegging James Harden in the head again. That was uh, not ideal. Uh, it was, un- it was, I forgot about that. That was unintentional, but that was an absolute laser ball that drilled him in the side of the head. Yeah, let's hope that doesn't happen again. Before we get you out of here, um, I know that obviously we had game one of the World Series last night, but I assume you did catch some of both uh, the NBA shows last night. Did you not? Or uh, Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. What are your initial thoughts about the Lakers and the Clippers? And then we'll move on to some of the other top-tier teams in the Western Conference after that. Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll start with my thoughts on the Lakers. Um, Anthony Davis is probably one of the three most individually talented players in the league. I, I've never strayed from that thought. Um, I've said it for years. Um, but I don't think he and the teams he plays with are ultimately going to be as successful as they can be if he doesn't play the five. Uh, he refuses to play the five. He's mentioned it publicly, but he's not comfortable playing the five. Um, and I think until he sort of dedicates himself to playing the center position and the way the game is played these days, I don't think ultimately Lakers will achieve what they think uh, they can achieve. I think they're also very much a work in progress. I mean, like, like it's talking about with Russell Westbrook and so forth, it's still going to be a work in progress for the Rockets. There's still a bit of a work in progress. I'd like to see more pick and rolls from LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, that's not necessarily something that, that, that LeBron is particularly comfortable with. Um, but, it, you know, and LeBron is, I think he's slowing down a little bit, but he's still one of the best players, one of the top five players in the world. And I mentioned Anthony Davis' talent. I think the Lakers are going to still be really, really good. Um, the Clippers are crazy deep. Um, they were crazy deep last year. They had by far the best, they arguably probably had the best second unit in the history of the league uh, last year. That group is still there, and they were absolutely lethal last night. And and even though, even though they didn't have Paul George, they've added Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to a starting unit, which uh, wasn't quite as good as a group as their second unit was. And so I think te- if teams are going to compete with the Clippers this year, I think other teams' second units are going to have to find a way to be effective against their second unit. Otherwise, you're going to be in for some, some very long games. The Clippers are, without a doubt, um, on the extreme short list of title contenders. Um, and nothing that they did last night um, changed my opinion one way or the other on that. I expect them to be right in the mix at the very end of the season. And again, Paul Jones didn't even play, but their second unit has so much chemistry and and, and they're they're so good um, that they're going to continue to be a problem for a lot of teams in the league this year. 
yeah, that Rockets West squad is uh, still tearing it up pretty pretty heavily over there in uh, in Clipperland. Now, as far as the rest of the kind of top-tier Western Conference teams, I think that with the additions of Mike Conley and Bogdanovich, the Jazz are looking to make a serious jump into contention. What are your thoughts about that team? Um, I think they plugged uh, quite a few of their holes and issues they had against the Rockets as they were eliminated by Houston the last um, couple of, of years. Um, I think Utah has had as good of an offseason as, as any team uh, in the league. Um, they know who they are. Uh, they have a distinct identity, much like the Rockets do. Uh, they play to their strengths. They're extremely well-coached. Uh, they make amazing adjustments from within games and, and from game to game. They have the best rim protector in the league um, and, and Rudy Gobert. But I think ultimately, if, if Utah is going to take that final step, it's on the shoulders of Donovan Mitchell. Um, can Donovan Mitchell be the guy, the consistent guy, they can go get you a basket in a tight game in the last two minutes? Um, if he can't develop into that player, then Utah will be an extremely tough out in the playoffs. But I don't think they have a shot at ultimately winning a championship. If he can take that next step this season and beyond, then absolutely they have a chance at, at winning a championship. Uh, Mike Conley's a pro is pro. Bogdanovich gives them another option to stretch the floor and become a little bit more versatile um, with the way they want to play. They were awful, awful defensively in the preseason. And they read absolutely nothing into that. They will once again be an elite uh, a defensive team this year. And so, yeah, Utah's going to be very formidable. Now, past that, we've got a couple teams that didn't really shake up their rosters quite as much in the West. We've got Portland and then the Denver Nuggets, actually. Really, those two teams kind of kept their main cores intact. And there's something to be said, and the Rockets kind of did this a little bit. Obviously, you've got Russell Westbrook now in place of Chris Paul, which is a pretty big switch out as far as your number two guy goes. But for the most part, the Rockets have kept the rest of their core from last season intact. And I think there's something we've said for chemistry as far as bringing back the same group of guys, having that level of comfortability across your top six, top seven, top eight guys. What do you think about the Trailblazers and the Nuggets? Well, I will say the thing about continuity is I think continuity definitely is a good thing for older veteran teams, guys who have been there, done that, have already gotten their money. I think sometimes a lot of continuity with younger teams who are still trying, or guys are still trying to, to get theirs in terms of being set up financially for the rest of their lives. I mean, I think the Celtics can be a little bit of an example of that. I think you can have some issues with continuity and, 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 uh, and, and younger players. Uh, we'll start with Portland. Look, um, I, you know, we were just, we just finished discussing um, Anthony Davis. Um, I would take Damian Lillard on my team every single time with Anthony Davis. I think Anthony Davis is a more talented basketball player than Damian Lillard. Uh, but Damian Lillard's a guy who, impacts winning and makes a lot of people around him better. I'm a, As much as Damian Lillard has tortured me personally and the Rockets and Rockets fans for years, uh, I am a huge fan of his game uh, and what he's able to do. Oh man, I'm getting uh, flashbacks. <laughs> um, I'm not, but I'm not so sure what they did around the fringes this summer. I mean, they, I think Portland, Portland's a playoff team, but I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what they were attempting to Accomplish uh, over the summer. I don't. I don't. I don't think their depth uh, is quite um, as good as it's been. Um, Whiteside is runs hot and cold. I'm a big Nurkic fan, and so them not having him at the start of the year, I think, is a pretty significant loss. But I think Portland is always one of those teams that people count them out, and then they always kind of make you um, pay for counting 
uh, them out. They're still going to be incredibly competitive. So long as Damian Lillard is, is healthy, um, they're going to win a ton of games. Uh, the Denver Nuggets are the team, that, that young team with a ton of continuity, surprised a lot of teams last year. Um, Jokic is an amazing uh, basketball player. I think with the addition of Jeremy Grant, they may have helped um, improve what was their greatest weakness, specifically against the Rockets. I mean, they could not defend the pick and roll against Houston. And that's why the Rockets have just dominated Denver over the last couple of years, as good as they have been. They just have not been able to defend uh, the pick and roll. But with Jeremy Grant out there and his length and his athleticism coming over from the weak side to help out Jokic, who's had a, he's the primary reason why they've struggled so much defending that screen and roll. I think he's a huge help for them, and I like the way they play. They have a lot of really young, talented um, guys. Jokic is the best passing big man. Uh, in the lead, they run everything through him. That's why they don't necessarily need a prototypical uh, point guard. Um, they're going to be really good. I mean, they're going to be really, really, uh, really good. Um, the question is, 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 can Jokic become one of the 10 best players uh, in the league this year? I think, obviously, he has been he was close last year. Can he take just that baby step forward um, if they can? Uh, if he can, um, they'll be a problem. All right, and it's happened every year, it seems, for the last few years now. Do we count out the San Antonio Spurs yet, or do we just put our money on Greg Popovich still dragging another team to the seventh or eighth seed in the playoffs? Um, despite playing um, uh, with uh, with an offense that was designed um, for the Stone Ages, they had one of the most efficient offenses in the league last year. Um, it was just a preseason game, um, but they looked pretty darn good at Toyota Center. Um, against the Rockets. Um, DeJounte Murray healthy is a big deal um, for them. Uh, I think he's a heck of a player. Um, gives them, um, uh, I think, a spark and, and some athleticism that they were um, desperately um, missing a, a season ago. Um, me personally, I think at some point, as the, and, and the irony is that they're like one of, if not the best three-point shooting teams in the league. They just don't take very many of them. At some point, I think that their rigidness and adapting to the modern style um, will catch up to them. I think um, they're certain. I think they're going to be. They're certainly in the mix. I think they're going to to, to, to make um, uh, the playoffs. But I think I think maybe this is the year that some of that catches up to them stylistically. But um, again, I guess you count out the Spurs um, at your own peril. They're always prepared. Um, they defend in the modern style as good as any team in the league. And I think that's uh, something that a lot of people don't discuss with them is that their offense obviously is not what most teams in the league are doing now, but they certainly defend in that manner, which gives them a chance uh, to be com- very competitive. But like last year, they, like I said, they were one of the worst, one of the, one of the most efficient offenses in the league, but they were bottom third defensively. If DeJounte Murray back in healthy, can make them a top 15 defense again this season, then yes, I think absolutely um, they will make the playoffs for sure in the West. If they're still 20, 21, 22 uh, defensively, I do think offensively their their style will, will catch up with them. All right. Well, again, Craig, thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything you want to plug before you get out of here? No, I'm just ready to go. Uh, congratulations to you on the new gig and uh, looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks a bunch, man. Appreciate it. Anytime, man. I thank you very much. All right. Talk to you later. All right. See you. Bye.
Again, that was the ever-insightful Craig Ackerman, Houston Rockets radio and TV play-by-play analyst. Hopefully we'll have him on the show again in the not-so-distant future. But for today, this Wednesday, October 23rd, the day before Rockets regular season officially kicks off, this is where we break. As always, thank you for tuning in. And if you want more content before our next show, social media is where you can find that content. I'm on there, at JT Gatlin. Craig is on there, at CA underscore Rockets. And the show is on there, at Locked on Rockets. Past that, there's Facebook, found at Facebook slash Locked on Rockets, the website, LockedOnRockets.com, and of course our email address, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. All of these are different ways to consume content about your Houston Rockets. You can ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, place advertising inquiries. Really, you can just let me know if there's anything that we can do to improve this experience for you, our listeners. Beyond that, if you would be kind enough to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya, wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts, if you could please take the time to subscribe and give us a five-star review. That's how you get the benefit of episodes straight to your inbox before it goes to the previously mentioned social media outlets. And then we get the benefit of looking attractive to potential advertisers and keeping this business model rolling along as the most regular podcast covering your Houston Rockets. For this Wednesday, October 23rd, this is where we break. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to have you back again soon right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.